You are listening to Disability at the Table, a podcast hosted by public speaker and campaigner Mark Webb that celebrates disability in the workplace. Once a month, you will hear stories of inclusiveness, best practice, and allyship in the PR and creative industries, looking at all aspects of working with disabilities. If you're an individual or business leader who wants a fairer and more inclusive workplace for all, this podcast is for you. So, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to another thrilling, exciting, slightly disabled version of Disability at the Table. I have the honour, but also the privilege and actually the catch-up opportunity to talk to the mighty, the legend that is Sam Carlyle. Now, some of you will know her because she used to be a well-known journalist. Others will know her because of her wonderful work on our side of the coin, heading up Cause Communications, and I'll let her introduce herself. But mostly, you need to know that we used to go on the school bus together. Gossip may ensue. But aside from that, Sam, would you like to properly introduce yourself in a far more grown-up way than I can manage? (laughs) I'm Sam Carlisle and I used to go on the bus with Mark to school. That's all you need to know, really, isn't it? <laughs> That's it. Okay, moving That's on. It. No, go, go on. It. Proper grown-up. Sam Carlisle and I have spent many years as a journalist straight out of university. It's all I ever wanted to do. So going backwards, I worked on the Nationals and was really lucky to have a fantastic career within the Nationals. The last job I did was as assistant editor at The Sun which I'm sure we'll talk about more later. And four years ago, I set up a company called Cause Communications, the idea of which was to help charities with campaigns, do PR for charities, because I knew that from my other side of the desk job, I knew that charities had a lot of stories and a lot of issues that would make great content for news providers. And I wanted to help them kind of harness that and get those stories out. I'm also the mother of Sunny, age 14, and Elvie, age 19, and Elvie has a rare genetic disorder. So a lot of the work that I do has that in the background, that like our experience as parents, carers, and having been brought into that world of disability as a parent. So yeah, so that's me. Thank you, Sam. Actually, you've slightly preempted me there because early on in this wonderful series and I'm sure we've got millions of listeners already. But early on in this series, I've fallen into this habit of talking to people who aren't disabled, which is very (laughs) weird for a disability at the table podcast. But there is actually a real reason behind that. And you've mentioned the famous, infamous, brilliant Elvie. Did you say she was 19 now? 19. Yeah, she's going to be 20 in September. Yeah. And that's essentially how you came into this campaigning one slash purpose-driven slash disability world. Did you have any experience before Elvie of anything in that world? I think as a journalist, you are always looking for not only stories, but you're looking for campaigns as well. And I think that's particularly important in national media. So I had worked on campaigns in my job as a feature writer, which is kind of how the journalism side that I went into. So there's news reporters and feature writers everyone starts as a news reporter and then you kind of specialize so feature writing is is kind of writing the sort of longer reads the sort of more in-depth looks at things so uh, 
as part of that job often campaigning was something that you would do so we'd sort of on the papers that I worked on you would either raise money for a specific charity or look at policy that needed changing so I, I had done that but probably not with the understanding of being a kind of service user of charities so yeah so that came later with LV service user that's like saying stakeholder yeah I hate it there isn't a good word for that yet so no. it's, it's really bad I um, need to make one yeah but don't make it ping tacit what's the word now pingdemic. pingdemic oh bloody hell that's my worst buzzword this week now this isn't visually recorded but if people could see you're getting very passionate with your hands and it's clear that you care it's something that matters so much to you and why wouldn't it with a brilliant 19 year old with one of the weirder diseases out there so okay so you did a bit of charity and cause related stuff before LV in your career but it's very clear to me now that it's your driving passion driving purpose as I have from my side so just tell me just briefly about LV because it's bloody complex and you confuse me when you talk about her because it's amazing her story but just what kind of causes do you work for care about dedicated to etc etc so Elvie was born with a rare genetic disorder. She's one of four kids that we know of in the country with her disorder, probably about 60 around the world. There will be more of those that we know of. It's quite often fatal by the time the children are two. So she has outlived any expectation that anyone had of her. She wasn't diagnosed until she was two. So that was all a bit of a, sh well, a shock, doesn't really quite explain it. So because of that, you know, we were kind of, thrown into this world and so one of the first charities that I came across was Genetic Disorders UK and they run Genes for Genes Day so I worked with them quite a lot to build up their campaigns um, do a lot of PR for them I was on their grant panel as well so because genetic disorders can be really really rare there's often very few children or adults affected by the individual disorders so that means you don't have that like big community supporting you. You don't have a big charity that speaks to your specific condition. So genetic disorders is a kind of umbrella charity that looks at those smaller conditions and finds the communality within those conditions and gives information. So that was really important to us. And remember, LV was diagnosed when Google wasn't around. So... I actually had an email come to me at work that said, oh, we think she has this rare thing called RCDP. This was from someone at Great Ormond Street. So I asked Jeeves what RCDP was. <laughs> I don't know if anyone remembers Ask Jeeves, but it was the one before Google. And so up came all these images of sort of skeletal images of people with dwarfism or children with dwarfism. And it said fatal by the time they're two. So... That's how I found out what LV had. And so that sort of the way the news was delivered, the lack of information, Facebook, I don't think came around for a couple of years sort of into wider use. Trying to find other families that had this was a real battle. And so I wanted to help other families. I wanted people who came after us to have more awareness, more help, more support. So that's kind of been a big driver for me. 
I'm not surprised. Yeah. Just on Ask Jeeves, I can remember, <laughs> I can remember Jeeves. And, and, and Jeeves was, you got a picture of a butler, didn't you? Um, yeah. That, that came up on the screen. Don't tell anyone. But I remember thinking that there was a whole group of people behind a desk who were researching <laughs> when you typed in <laughs> whatever you need, you know, the nearest restaurant or, or rare genetic <laughs> disorders. <laughs> you mean there isn't? No. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. Oh. Yeah, they're all in Hemel Hempstead. So, but you mentioned Great Ormond Street. And of course, there's a funny divide. And I don't want to come across as cynical here, but it's in a sense in the campaigny terms and in the heartstring terms the two things that get people really going in charity and attention are the c word and mm. that's not covid it's yeah. cancer and children yeah. yeah and i'm sure you represent other charitable causes that aren't so again not being cynical just stating a fact but aren't so heartstringy how do you compete with a charity that doesn't involve children or cancer well the reason i think those areas do attract the most attention is because we've all been children a lot of us have children and we all know someone who's been touched by cancer so as you start moving into the rarer conditions or conditions that only affect adults what you have to do is find the stories that will resonate with everyone it's either there but for the grace of god go i i think in many cases it's an incredible strength in people that we're talking about or it's the very rareness of something that becomes a story in itself so when i talk about Elvie and I say there's only four kids in the country people go wow you know and that is the point of her condition almost it's like or that is a point of entry into well how do you manage how do you do that and then it's you know that sense of I'm so lucky that that isn't affecting me in a way so that's how you have to kind of do it I think with disability it's really difficult because you don't want people to feel sorry for you, you don't want that sort of pity porn almost so it's kind of finding that it's really hard to find that measure between people sort of thinking oh poor them but also being interested in that story so it's trying to find positives as well in whatever we're talking about does that make any sense it does and it's a struggle isn't it you've seen me I never want pity from my condition Mm. which is quite advanced and quite unpleasant but at the same time it's important to me and I remember writing a blog life sentence versus death sentence and of course when we're talking about cancer more and more people will be cured but there are plenty of unhappy endings I'm afraid it's very hard to portray a life sentence so something that will will end my life but not for a good while hopefully yet and yet not want pity so I'm trying to sell the positive side of disability and yet knowing that that makes it harder to raise money, to raise awareness, etc. But anyway, we push on. We keep mm-hmm. pushing on. So you mentioned the sun. So uh, two, <laughs> two questions about the sun. First of all, I'm very aware of the amazing campaigning side of the sun that awareness raising that just only the sun and a couple of other publications can ever manage. But you're also bastards, aren't you? Defend the sun. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there we go. That's the question. Okay, so I fell into working at the sun. It's where I managed to get shifts. You call it shifts when you start off, you know, you try and work in a national. I was offered shifts at the sun. 
And I was like, I'm not really sure about this. Always wanted to work for The Guardian. Although my family were originally quite working class and, you know, my grandmother read The Sun every single day. And I actually realised I loved it as a product because it had everything in there. And I also... I did shifts at the Mail, I did shifts at the Mirror, and I wrote a bit for The Guardian. Actually, I really love working for The Sun because it was the voice of the working class because the people that I interviewed who were readers were just mostly brilliant people. And I think it does campaign and it, it is a voice for people who don't have a voice quite often. I mean, now we have social media, but when I started there, you know, who was doing the voice of the working class? No one. And there were, you know, people that I visited and wrote stories about. And we managed to change their lives either by getting funding for something or, you know, a school would be closing down or a hospital. We would write about that. One of the pieces of work that I'm most proud of is the Give Me Shelter campaign, which was about domestic abuse. So I was chatting to a colleague, Sharon Hendry, who had really good contacts with some of the charities like Women's Aid. And she was saying that more and more women's refuges were closing because of funding. So I talked to the editor about doing something. He didn't know the statistics, the statistic that two women every week were killed by someone they knew. So we decided that we would run a campaign asking for more funding, keeping the refuges open. And we would run the pictures of every single women who'd been killed in the last year so we did that and it got immediate reaction from government so George Osborne was chancellor at the time he immediately chucked money at the issue but then we continued on to you know demand a better funding scheme and that turned into it's not the only reason for but it turned into the domestic abuse bill that went through parliament last year and became the domestic abuse act which is the biggest piece of legislation around domestic abuse for a long time so that came from the sun Theresa may wrote a piece saying definitely the work of the sun contributed to this so we weren't always bad guys i think there was a lot achieved that people don't really see this last year they had jabs army which was a brilliant campaign just to get people out helping with the vaccination centers and those vaccination centers wouldn't have worked as efficiently without some readers going out and helping it was a huge help I think so I think a lot of people who criticize the paper haven't read it for a while as well I think the new editor is incredible in what she's doing you know building bridges with a lot of people as well so yeah have another look at it I would say I will. I want page three to come back, but with lockdown bellies on. uh, (laughs) Because I need a bra for my belly at the moment. (laughs) You could Uh, be the first one. Yeah, um, I could. Linda Lusardi against me. I'd win every time. Okay, well defended. And yeah, like I said, you know, I'm I'm so aware of some of the campaigning work and it's like no other, really. But you've left. And I come from when I was relatively healthy, I was FTSE 100, not on my own, but I I worked in a FTSE 100 role. So I was dealing with the mighty Steve Hawks at the Sun. He's gone to what I don't know which one is the dark side, but he's come to PR. As yeah, former journalists all think PR is the dark side. I, 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 yeah, and it goes the other way, whereas, of course, actually, we bitch about each other, but it's all very symbiotic, and, and the one couldn't live without the other in reality, much as though we bitch about it. So why did you leave the mighty sun and journalism and come to what you call the dark side, but we believe is the truth and the light? 
There were many reasons. My other half still works at The Sun. So I was heading towards 50. LV, her world was narrowing down and becoming harder and harder to get support for her. Everything was a battle. Everything with disabled children is a battle to find support. It's not their disability. It's a structure that should be around them, that legally should be in place for them, isn't. And that battle was getting harder and harder. And I I foolishly thought, I know if I leave and set up a company, that will be much easier than working for someone else. And I can do PR for charities and that'll be a lovely life, not realising quite what it takes to set up your own company. But I decided to do it. I thought if I'm going to have a second career, this is the time to do it. And so I took that leap and I wanted to take all that knowledge that I had of working with charities campaigning at the sun and help them more directly and make that what I did completely rather than you know everything else as well there's a lot of meetings when you're in the newspaper and I thought if I can cut down the meetings and just do the campaigning bit then that would be a great way of spending my day and it would also give me a bit of time to sort of go into battle for LV as well and look after weather. and how you're finding it well it was so much harder it really is so much harder <laughs> running your own business There's no tech department. There's no HR department. It's just me. So, but I have absolutely loved it. I I haven't regretted it. You know, there's some days where there's a really big news story and I really miss the buzz of a newspaper office, of the newsroom, elections. I really get jumpy about not being in there. But generally, I think actually the higher you get in newspapers, the less you are doing what you love, which is interviewing people and meeting people and drawing out stories. And the way that I run my PR company, which is probably slightly different to most, is kind of interviewing people and almost sort of writing the piece for the journalist before it gets to the journalist and you know, presenting work, making it easier for the journalists because there are very few journalists now. That's why we're all working in PR. That's why Steve Hawkes is working in PR now. Brilliant, brilliant journalist. I think there's more PRs than journalists now. So, you know, to get that balance right and to be able to provide content that will hit the sweet spot for journalists is a real knack. So, yeah, so I get to interview so many interesting people. Before COVID, I was actually meeting people, which was great. And also making a difference, I think, which sounds cheesy, but it really is what drives me. And I think I can see change happening in some of the areas that we work and profiles raised for people and stories told that wouldn't get told otherwise. Mm. Now, cheese is good bit of fromage (laughs) it's interesting you've just summoned up a memory that a a journalist once said to me many years ago you make it so easy for me I never have to come back to you for more and I bet that's one thing you're going to say when I ask this we're drawing to a close here but having sat on both sides and they shouldn't really be sides but I can't see that changing but having been a a a high-flying journalist and now a mighty leader in, in cause communications how could we approach those pesky journalists and work with those pesky journalists better? I think, as I said, try and do as much legwork as you can beforehand and almost give them a package that's all there. Think about how they want that package delivered as well. So, I mean, from things like this morning, so I still get press releases from PR agencies because I still do a bit of journalism. And I had one this morning saying, would you like an email about this? (laughs) It's like, 
why would you send that? Why would you send, would you like an email about this? Why don't you just send me the PR press release? Just send it to me and then I can read it and yes or no. But to preempt that is just like one stage too far. I don't think many people do that, but just make it as easy as possible. So, you know, don't do attachments in an email, just put it in the copy of the email, the press release, make sure they can see pictures easily. That's another thing. And make sure you know the best way to deliver the pictures. A lot of people don't have time for WeTransfer, for example. There's a time limit on those pictures and they might not get to them in the time that you've sent them. So that's another email that they have to send you. It's, it's almost that. It's like cut down how much contact the journalist needs to have with you as a PR and just give them as much as you think they will need. Be really sure that you are sending something to someone who will be interested so look at the stories they've done before there's so much available now you know we're not in our Steve's Dave's anymore you can see what they've written you can see what they're interested in so find the journalists that are right and then make it as easy for them as possible it's interesting so uh, that all makes sense but I had wondered if you were going to say anything about relationships because to me that's still a key is knowing a handful of journalists well yeah you're right you're absolutely right that's really important it has become quite difficult because it used to be a very sort of you know let's go and have a drink kind of relationship and the last year and a half has put pay to that slightly but yeah I think again it's about finding the right journalists for the products and the people that you are representing so it's finding them perhaps saying have you got five minutes for a coffee if they can do that amazing or just you know do you have five minutes for a chat because I'd really like to know what you are interested in in this field what you're looking for and if we can help you so yeah I mean and don't be scared I mean you know people are scared of journalists I think a little bit certainly PRs when you start out so you know but because the numbers of journalists is diminishing they all need content they need stories and you have that so yeah if you can make those relationships then you know that will put you in good stead for the future I think. Yeah just a close on this bit I think there's that horrible disconnect that you mentioned about that email about saying can I send an email the fact is when you're in an agency or a big company you're often paying your junior PR people to actually do the important stuff which is contact the journalists and there's this awful disconnect between time precious um, sometimes high and mighty journalists and poor junior execs in the PR industry terrified of approaching said journalist. And, and that relationship can be such a disjointed one. Yeah, but like I said, every journalist needs stories. And the more time limited they are, the busier they are because newsrooms are shrinking or because everything's going online and you're just sort of tapping away like the voracious monster that is 24-hour online news or 24-hour TV news, you know, needs feeding. So you just have to think, I can give them stories that they need and be confident in that. But choose the right people and the way you approach them. Just be careful with their time. Yeah. Yep, yep. Okay, so I think it was quite clear why I invited you on, um, (laughs) which was because much as though you're not disabled yourself, you are very much another ally, another advocate for all things disability, not just because of uh, LV, but LV led you down that path partly. But just to close, you've given yourself a, a soft plug. Well done for not being heavy on the plug. But talk to me in closing. 
not about the fact that I snogged your sister, which is important. (laughs) She will always deny that. Well, she doesn't remember. I obviously wasn't that memorable. (laughs) But talk to me about roller skating. Oh, roller skating. This is wrong. Oh, oh, okay. Thank you. So once upon a time, Elvie and I went to meet one of the very few families with Elvie's condition, RCDP. We totally randomly chose Battersea Park, 10.30 by the Pagoda. As we parked up in the Disabled Bay, a chap got out of the car next to me, put roller skates on, parked in the Disabled Bay, then got a wheelchair out, put a wheel at the front, like a racing wheel at the front. And I was like intrigued by this. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, oh, I'm really sorry. You've seen me on roller skates and I've used the blue badge. I was like, no, 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 I'm not bothered about that. What are you doing? And he said, oh, we're a charity called Wheels and Wheelchairs. And every Saturday we meet at 10.30 by the Pagoda in Battersea Park. And we do three laps of the park. We push wheelchair users in the wheelchairs while we are on roller skates so we can go really fast around the park and there's a little girl in this car because she was little at the time who would love that so the following week we turned up I dug my roller skates out of the loft and we did three laps I was like Bambi on ice but you know managed to do it and we've been going every Saturday since in good weather we've done the Paris roller marathon we've skated from London to Brussels we've skated along the south coast we do street skates through the city of London on Sunday afternoons and it has been the best way for me to get exercise for LV to have that feeling of being in a group and have that sensory kind of input that she absolutely loves there is nothing more smiley and more joyful than seeing LV while she is being pushed really fast in a wheelchair around the park or any other venue it is amazing and it's open to adults in wheelchairs any wheelchair user basically can come if there's issues with you know sitting upright or anything like that we we mostly find a way to make it work and I say we now because we are very much part of the group the charity and it's brilliant so if anyone's interested look us up wheels and wheelchairs we have a website we have a Facebook group so come along and Mark you have promised me for years now that you are going to come along so Saturday morning I know I I invented Covid as an excuse (laughs) it's all it's all a hoax I just I I, I couldn't get around to uh, no I must do and and I I talk about myself so bloody often as an adrenaline junkie it's just it's finding time and it's finding energy and I desperately want to I can't wait but I need to lose that lockdown belly so I'm easier to push around So, (laughs) so I'm working on that um Sam thank you very much Thank for you for talking me. to me and we'll be out soon with this thrilling episode in which the sun journalist defends herself and the mighty newspaper and sells course communications and tells us about roller skating hurrah hurrah thank you thank you Thank you for joining us this week on the Disability at the Table podcast. You can subscribe to the show on any of your favorite platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google. And if you enjoyed listening to the podcast today, don't forget to write a review and tell your friends. Sign up on the link in the show notes to receive updates on our guest speakers, blogs, and events. We'll be back next month with a new episode.